0: Hi there, and welcome along to a very, very special episode of the JevsNet weekly podcast, the totally free and independent Rangers podcast that's created by the fans and for the fans. Why is this a special episode? Well, uh, we're delighted to say that we've reached the ton. Um, it's episode number 100 from a, a wee show that started uh, probably two, two and a half, three years ago. We've, we've come a long, long way, spanning four seasons, plenty of wins, um, plenty of frustrations, many of which will be aired tonight. Uh, but I don't think any of us expected we ever get this far, so we're absolutely thrilled that you'll be joining us. Um, my name is Ross Bennett, and I'm delighted to be your, your host to take us through this evening. Um, remember guys that the podcast is not the only content that we have over at CheersNet. we also have uh the website which is Uk, where you can find loads of match previews match reviews and um, plenty of interesting insight and articles as well as the very friendly discussion forum where you can find myself and all of the other contributors from the podcast uh, and you can engage in the witty banter um remember that the pod whilst we're on we're on a, a hundred shows now so we can't really call ourselves a new show we still always appreciate a like and subscribe so make sure that you do that wherever you get your podcast from we are live as usual tonight on sunday night it's 9 30 on the 16th of august uh, so if you are listening live then thank you very very much for giving up your weekend to join us if you're not listening live um well then welcome along if it's your first time with us as well please do bear in mind that next week you'll have to listen live and, uh, and get involved in the chat that goes on on the youtube stream as well um, remember that the podcast is available to download from Monday mornings, that's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Castbox, Acast and anywhere else that you can think of that I have not, name, not named there. Uh, to get us through this evening, obviously, we were expecting maybe to have a bit more of a celebratory mood, a bit of a party atmosphere. Thankfully, Stephen Gerrard and his men took care of that and dampened our spirits over in Livingston this afternoon. But we're still going to do our best to get through the day. Uh, So to join us on a very, very special episode, we have two of the greatest contributors to the JazzNet podcast, one of the old guard and one of the slightly newer uh, frame as well. First of all, it is the uh, wonderfully talented David Wren. David, good evening. How are you doing? Hello, Ross. Um,
1: No, it's quite fitting that it should be a banter scoreline today, uh, given that this podcast is is a banter banter years era uh, podcast like many others, so... Um, yeah, good. To, good to come on and have a moan. You know, that's that's the that's the the Rangers that we we know and love. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure it will be I'm sure it will be good regardless.
0: I, I see the the banter years tag is is one that can get a few people quite upset because everything that happened to us wasn't banter. It was criminal and all the rest of it. I quite like referring to us as the banter years. What would you say? We we've been spanning four seasons now, David. Is there one particular piece of banter that that sticks in your mind as a highlight of that time?
1: Oh, oh, one. See, now, now I've said that, that, it's quite actually difficult to think about. Um, oh, it's got to be the progress result, surely. Okay. I, that was a dark, dark day. But I, uh... there has been many. There has been many. But re- recently, recently it's been good. I mean, Stephen Gerrard certainly got us in the, regardless of today's scoreline, I think we're in a, a really, really good position now. And I think actually, <clears throat> in fairness, this uh as we refer to the, the Banteers, I don't think they are anymore. Um, I think, you know, last season and, and certainly the season before that, gerard has got us to a point now where, you know, we're, we're challenging again, we're, we're a force in Europe again. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully that's all behind us. And I think that, um, you know, the, the future is bright, especially with Gerard, regardless of today's result, regardless of how many moans we're going to have tonight, I think um, the future of the podcast and the future of the club is is looking bright.
0: Absolutely. And look, we need, we need results like today's in order to keep us grounded and remember where we've been over the past decade. Otherwise, we wouldn't want to be opening up too big a lead over Celtic and, and thinking for a club that's, you know, not prone to the banter. Uh, also with us this afternoon, it's, uh, like I say, one of the, maybe the newer guard of the Gersnet podcast, but an excellent contributor in his own right. It's someone who in the week describes himself as the Dan Egan of Gersnet. Um, but considering that he's kind of come from nowhere to take centre stage on one of our most important fixtures of the season, I much prefer to think of him as next, Moses Ashikody. Uh So a very warm welcome to Alexander Anderson. Alec, how are
2: you? I'm not bad, guys. Not bad at all. Well, that's a complete lie. I'm absolutely terrible. Um, and Congratulations to yourselves. Uh, congratulations to, to Frankie, you know, to Stuart, the boss, everybody that's... Put Gersnet together uh, for the last uh, ninety nine pods, and I'm just uh, feeling a bit like, uh, or Frankie must be feeling a bit like uh, Roger Sterling in that episode of Mad Men where he's it paid for the big lavish wedding for his daughter, and then the, the day before JFK gets shot. Um, ah, it's. Uh, I'm I'm feeling a bit like Dan Egan, as I say, because um, you know, I remember a couple of months ago the BBC were rerunning the the title celebrations or the the last game of the season in two thousand and three, uh, and against and beat them 6-1 at the end of it, and I was at the game, obviously, and, uh, and then it's showing you the podium at the end and I'm thinking, Dan Egan, how the hell did he manage to get a medal? I don't remember him playing once, but uh, I'm hoping I've maybe elevated myself to uh, being as deserving of, of being involved in these celebrations as uh, Howard for the Halifax.
0: <laughs> Halifax, Howard, who gives you extra? Um, no, absolutely, and and if nothing else, I think everyone listening should be reminded that getting to a hundred episodes uh, is is probably a bigger achievement than winning the title on the final day. Um, so, look, gents, obviously it's it's a an excellent kind of day for for us as a, a wee band of Rangers supporters getting to a pretty imp- uh, important milestone in in our wee journey. Um, a sad day as well for. Rangers football club in terms of the result, but a, a, another sad week, sadly for for Rangers as a club off the pitch. Um, unfortunately, we, we you know at just we do have to mark the passing of Tom Forsyth, um, who was uh, you know kind of a stalwart of, of Rangers in the late 1970s and, and early 1980s, um, a player who, who racked up countless appearances and and was uh, like I say a stalwart, of a, a really impressive. Blood and Thunder Ranger's side and and a Ranger side that a lot of net contributors grew up with. And and I know that when I have conversations with with maybe some of the older podcast presenters and guests that we have on the show, um the, the memories that they have of that side, Tom for Sight is one of the names that comes up time and time again. And uh it's it's a, a shame in my right that I was born too late and never got to see him play. So I just want to take a moment before we get into the football today to pass on sympathies from everyone at Chairsnet to, to Tom's friends and family um, and, and remember the legacy that he's left behind. Moving on from that we'll we'll start by taking a look today at the Livingston game uh, as we record it Sunday evening so it's it only a few hours ago that the final whistle was blown. Um, after that we will move on to a slightly happier performance against St Johnston in the week uh, and then we will finish up the show this afternoon by addressing the COVID-19 situation with Aberdeen and Celtic leading the way in in the COVID-19 count Uh, and we'll we'll sort of ask are clubs doing enough, what punishment is befitting and is it really possible to go to Spain without your club knowing but first we have to address it, we have to get it out of the way, the Livingston result this afternoon the first dropped points of the season for Rangers although we do still keep uh, a kind of clean sheet across the, the season so far with no goals conceded David, I'll come to yourself first of all, can you give me your kind of general overview of the match this afternoon and just how frustrating was it for yourself?
1: Um yeah, I mean it was it was uh, it was all too familiar, I think, was that was the most disappointing thing about it. Um it looked like a like a game from you know the past couple of years where we've gone to gone to a difficult place and, and struggled to to break a team down. I think um you know Livingston Livingston sat and frustrated played played more or less a back six which I don't actually blame them for, I think, that, that these clubs, you know, they know how to play against us. They want to get a result, and I, I personally don't see much wrong with that. Um, it's up to us to, to then break them down. I just think too many of our players today um, didn't show enough. I think midfield was very, <clears throat> you know, no one was really taking responsibility. And I think that extended to, to, the, to the strikers as well. You know, no one really willing to take a shot from the edge of the box. I mean, how many times did Kamara, Jack, um, Arfield get the ball on the edge of the box and instead of at least trying to make something happen, they would just play a square ball there, try and, you know, give up the responsibility, pass it on to someone else. Um, I thought who one player who did who did well was um was such I thought he was he was excellent, really unlucky not to not to score with, with another free kick. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's frustrating how, how familiar these these results are, and I just felt that, um, you know, given the situation and given, you know, Celtic's situation, the fact that they won't play, you know, for, for a wee while, certainly we'll miss a few games. It was a real opportunity for us to, to pull ahead, albeit with, with games in hand, and now it just feels like we've sort of done what we couldn't do, which is, um, you know, drop points, and and at least let them, you know, draw level if they win the games in hand. And uh, it's just frustrating, I think, for everyone watching it. And, and we'll probably we'll cover it in, in more depth th- than this tonight. But, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of things there that just didn't impress me. And it, it looked early on, you know, that that, that was the way the game was going to go. And it took until maybe the 83rd, 84th minute before we actually started turning the screw. And, and, and you know, you just can't, you just can't afford to do that. You need to take responsibility and need to um you know start realizing the situation a lot earlier than, than the last ten minutes and, and and that was really disappointing.
0: Yeah, I completely agree that it was it was frustrating and, and it was it was eighty two, eighty-three minutes that we started playing with a bit more pace or or even just started with a bit more speculative, hopeful long balls into the box, which was as you say, David, how many times did that midfield three have the ball with 18, 20 yards out and just fanny about with it, you know, rather than Showing a bit of guile or, or just having an, an effort on goal. Um, we were kind of saying before we came on air that their their goalkeeper was making his debut today, and he's been signed from English non-league. So whilst he's obviously not, you know, he's he's gone and made a, a fairly spectacular save from Barisic's free kick. Um, he's he's unlikely to have two of them in him in, in the same game, and you have to put him under some pressure and and test him and try it out and and have a go, but you see the ball whenever the ball breaks to ryan jack or Glenn Kamara on the edge of the 18yard box they look afraid to have a shot they look afraid to sky it or put it wide or whatever but it got to the point today like you say after 15 20 minutes you could see how this game was going and i don't know if you're anything like me but you're sort of crying out for someone to just try something different you know just just have a go put the ball in the box or put the goal, put the ball on the on the goals and um and and just try something that's that's not a Ryan Kent
1: step over and then running into traffic. I think, um, I, I, I completely agree. I think the, the frustrating thing as well is we have had, you know, Morell on our team for what, three years now. Um, and we all know he plays, plays best ball to feet back to go. Um, and, I mean, we barely played that, that ball into him once today. And then, Kamar Roof comes on as well. Um, and again, he's another one that likes the ball to feet in the edge of the area. And again, we just didn't do it. It was, Bigger belief, really, that we were so, you know, one-dimensional. And, you know, Livingston, as you say, I mean, the goalkeeper making his debut there and he made a fantastic save. Don't get me wrong, it was a, it was a great save from from Barisic. But really, you know, that was the only proper save we had to make. And then straight after the straight after that free kick, I think Colmer came in. He's flat to tit. And then there was actually half chance there. We didn't make the most of that. Then Morel is, you know, back post heads over the bar from you know, eight yards, and you're just thinking, Jesus, I mean, really, really, again, frustrating, and all our own doing, it felt like, as well, I mean, we, we, we could have, there was just a lot we could have done, and that's, that's the most frustrating thing, that there was so much we could have done that we just didn't, and we played the same way for, for you know, 80, 85 minutes, and never once tried to take the game to them, and that was, I thought, that's maybe unfair to take the game to them but to certainly try something a bit more direct uh, because we were the same build-up play all the time first half really poor second half slightly better but just not enough Um, And we need to I mean the stats show over the past couple of years that the majority of points we've dropped and what's actually cost us getting closer to the title are are these games and and if we don't get over this sort of funk where we can't go to these places and, and grind out results and get late goals and you know, because that's how Celtic have won so many titles uh, recently. It's through scoring late goals and finding ways to win. We need to take this as a warning. We need to take this as a, a lesson and take it into the to future games where this is similar. Cause it won't just be away from home. It will be at Ibrox too. And teams are going to sit and We've got to find a way of breaking them down.
0: Yeah, very much so. And as you say, there were all of those sort of individual frustrations on the park of, of- you know, no one having a bit of creativity, no one trying anything different. And then all of that is off, it's kind of set against a backdrop of even more frustration of the fact that we had a chance already to get a, a points advantage on Celtic, which has been given up. And, and, and yes, we will we will be ahead of them on points by the time that they re, you know, resume play after their COVID holiday. Um, but there was a real chance to put some real pressure on them early the doors. And, and to see it slip away like that is is really, really bitter. Alex, we obviously, I don't think we'd be able to discuss Rangers dropping points at Livingston without at least addressing the issue of their pitch. Um, it's already kind of been a point of discussion for a lot of people on forums and on Twitter and all the rest of it. Um, to me, it seemed in particular, Philip Halander seemed to really, really struggle with the pitch and reading the bounce of the ball. It seemed that all of our passes were slightly off everything was over-hit or under hit, everything was bouncing weird. It seems that time and again we're having discussions about plastic pitches. Yeah. I'm going to put a slightly different spin on things now.
2: Can we still use this as an excuse for dropping points? Uh, no. I, I think it's I, I think it's um, it's a, a terrible pitch. You no, know, but that doesn't change the fact that we should know how to deal with it, even if we got to the point where we have to get one of the pitches, one of the plastic pitches at Murray Park and just Resurface it with linoleum and then uh, gravel or whatever it is. I mean, the, the, the black specks, the, the black rubber that I used to have to dig out my trainers for years on end when I was playing five at the pits at Townhead Interchange in Glasgow, you no know, paying of fiver um, to have a wee heart attack on a Thursday night with the boys from my work. That To see that in a, a Premier League, sorry, um, a Premiership pitch, it's, it's consistently embarrassing. Um, and I don't know, but, but we know what it's going to be like. We know what it's going to be like that. I mean, it almost cost us £20 million pounds in the first minute today when um, <laughs> just out of nowhere uh, Alfie takes a tumble and you're thinking, well, has just done his leg he's just, He's just, he's you know, he's, he's twisted his ankle or he's, he's, he's pulled a ligament or something. Um, luckily, he gets back up. But it's part of the whole Livingston experience, which we have experienced enough times now to know how to deal with it. Um, I don't think we can we can offer that as an excuse. Um, Northern have actually, I like, think we won there three Um The second time we went in, Gerrard's first season, um, we won there two three times last season. I uh, know we certainly won there in the league cup, and then we won in the league two like, nothing. Uh, the league cup game was brutal, but it's just, <laughs> but we got but we got there on the end. But like, you're waking up this morning and, and you're thinking, Celtic can't play, Hibs have drawn. You know, so, we, you know, it's open for us just to go, to, to go top of the league, nice and clear. Um, and then you're, you're switching on telly. Lyndon Dykes is away. He's not playing. And you're thinking, oh, that's that's great, because Holander, he gave Holander a bit of, a bit of bother, um, serious bother in that League Cup game last season. And then you're reminded Robbie McCrory is unable to play because, uh, you know, he's kind of playing against his parent club and it's a debutant goalkeeper and you're thinking, come on. This is just... You know if, if, if Aribo had to miss a game, this, this, is, this is the game, and you know, every problem you could think of was just it's almost like winners were teeing it up or fate was teeing it up to show you that there are absolutely no excuses. Um, and we just managed to. I don't know if it's paralysis by analysis, and the, the, I watched the highlights of Hibbs putting four past Livingston on that same pitch last week, and I can't get it kind of explained a lot of the. Uh, the cross balls, you know, because a lot of those goals have scored against them just came from balls across, you know, um across their box. And I don't know if anything have overthought it and tried to try to do the same thing. And it's maybe not well, it is my natural game you saw the, goal, the second goal we scored against uh, St. Johnson. But uh, for me it's it's a kind of microcosm of the last two seasons. It feels like it's a it's an attitude thing. Um We've actually picked up more points in the first. Uh, ten points we've taken from the first four games, which is a, again a steady improvement. First season, I think Stevie uh, was it. We drew at Aberdeen first game, um, then we won a game, then I think we we lost at Parkhead, you know. But we had Europe it was given a sense of momentum in between these games with the whole European run. Um, was, was picking up at that point and that seemed to be the kind of emphasis and it was giving us some sort of momentum and that's all we wanted under Stephen Gerrard at first um, and then last season we won our first three games um, the first one uh, was a last minute winner at Kilmarnock oh we beat Hibs 6-1 in our second game it was 2-1 at half time kind of, you know, still in the balance and uh, the third game is escaping me just now but it was a bit of a struggle um, oh, no, the, the game against St Mirren for Nobaris it scored in 60 odd minutes kind of late on and that was a bit tight at times as well and then we lost to Celtic in our fourth game. So today we've actually gone on and four successive clean sheets, top of the league. And but there's no Europe to explain why we've dropped points at Livingston. And the massive caveat to any sense of uh, the other massive caveat to any kind of sense of progression is the fact that we're the ones chasing. You know, in, in, in terms of in infrastructural terms, in terms of just trying to, you know, in historic terms, we, Celtic are the ones that are in front. And there's a thing in sport where, Celtic are the ones that are so far in front, um, and there's a thing in sport where a consistent champion can almost deliberately have a setback and sit back and watch their nearest opponent slips up on their own because they're so unused to, to making that final leap to just winning for winning's sake. And with this Rangers team, we can fight tooth and nail uh, from minute one to minute ninety-five. If we're playing Celtic at Parkhead, and um, final in Rotterdam, Porto and Porto, you know we get great results. We beat we over two nothing down to Braga at home, and they're one of the best teams we've seen in years. And next thing we're beating them three-two, and we go over there and we we play them off the park, and we just. But when it comes to us being favourites. Just as when we changed the the, the the pace of the league race in the last game, the last old-firm game of each of the last two years, when there's any sense that we are favourites and it's on us, we just stop. That team, we get bored after half an hour today. We get bored because it wasn't working. And it was like, yeah, we started going backwards. And then we had a wee burst of desperation just as we went into injury time. And that goalkeeper making his debut. By the time he got, by the time Barisic was curling free kicks into him, that boy's confidence was absolutely soaring because he was having a great game on his debut against against Rangers. You know, we just—it was all there for—it was all there for the taking. We need to maintain momentum. We need to do this more than self. We need to do it. We, and um, I could just be the lines again. And uh, the only thing for me is, at the end of the game, I thought you know the the the, the Einstein definition of insanity meme was doing the rounds again and and Rangers Twitter were doing the same thing all the time and expecting a different result. But I thought the, the captain and the manager's post-match interviews on Sky, at least I saw, were quite interesting. At first, at first I was kind of annoyed at Tab because he seemed a bit too phlegmatic and quite kind of chuffed that we'd had a lot of the ball. Um, and I thought, there's no there's no, there's no, no room for being chuffed with that, Tab. It's what you do with it. I thought, how can he still not be getting it? But then when Stevie G came on, you know, a guy who absolutely has my trust, you know, and I, and I know he's doing everything he can for Rangers, and I, I can't think of anybody else who could replace him. When he come on um, and had the, the same, he wasn't throwing the players under the bus this time. It was not in that rage. I was expecting to see him, like, slating the team again for their attitude, but it wasn't there. So my only hope is, he he was quite kind of calm about it as well, you know, and, and back up the players. And my only hope is we've tried, you know, we're going back to the well, we're in the same situation we've been in so many times the past two years, we slipping up against fodder against minnows. But Gerard's refusing to to lose the rag this time. And I don't know if it's just a case of we'll try and we'll try and ease no, I don't I don't know how to how to describe this, but we'll try and just kind of take this one in the chin, not rock the boat too much internally. And uh, we'll see how they progress from here. But uh, I'm sick of having to wait. You know, um it's just it's just been a terrible day. I think that's a very fair
0: assessment of where we are and it it's difficult I, th- I think because it's so early on in the season and because Celtic have only played two games it's difficult to try and accurately gauge how much optimism we had going into today for the for the remainder of the season and then to gauge how much that optimism has been dented by today's result. Um, David, Alec there's mentioned mentioned um, you know a, a number of things of why we were unable to to get a result today and a couple of us have mentioned so far the, the impact of the midfield three and, and obviously started out as Kamara, Jack and um, Scott Arfield. Scott Arfield making his first start of the season in the absence of Joe Aribo. Now, it felt to me that Scott Arfield was somewhat anonymous whilst he was on the pitch, but Jack and Kamara were playing a very, very similar game. Both obviously did not want to be the one to make something happen but instead wanted to sit deep and dictate play and, and keep things tidy and make sure that, you know, that we weren't caught out defensively so is this a game where we really saw or felt the absence of Joe Rebo and, and how much do you think we missed him today?
1: Well I think Joe Aribo scored against Livingston um, last season at, at uh, Tony Macaroni Um and, yeah, I think we, we like that, you know, attacking edge. But I, I, I like Arfield. I'm a, I'm a fan of Arfield. I think he offers a lot. I think his attitude is such that he um, he's probably a great player to have around the, the club. Um You know, I th- someone that I think is a, a good man, you know, a good a good Rangers player, a solid professional. Um And, yeah, I mean, today it just wasn't a good day for him. But I actually think last season... He played his best stuff and the season before actually, late late latter stages of the season before, played his best stuff for us off the right and sort of inside forward position. Um so playing him as part of that midfield three in particular probably wasn't maybe the right caller or certainly not the right role. Um but then it was quite difficult to gauge what him and Hadji were were actually doing. Uh, I know we spoke off air about you know the heat map which showed they were occupying pretty much the same areas. And for me, you know, Hadji's shown absolutely zero uh, since the start of the season. Um and I haven't spoken to you know a few a few mates. I think that's that that's a feeling that's felt among the sport. Um, you know, he's he's in every game, even the Aberdeen game, you know, the amount of things that were bouncing off him, you know, his first touch was poor. just wasn't involved in the game and even the two games where we controlled them at home you know again just not not really in the game today was another example of that you know didn't really do a lot and then you know you bring on Barker there and you know he's for me again he's just not up to the required level and again I I hate to have a go at him because I think he seems like a a good lad you know a, a professional player and you know, someone that, that really appreciates playing for the club, but he's just maybe not quite at the level that we need. Um, and I just don't think it, it really chilled today. And I think Aribo is the type of player this season for us, maybe not so much last season, but from what I've seen, he's turned out to quite an influential player for us in that midfield. And it, it's maybe not even just what he's doing himself. I think he he gives the, I think the players around him trust him, you know, and that's, that's a great, Compliment of a young player like him. You get the feeling that the, the rest of the players trust him with the ball um, because he keeps it so well and he's, he keeps things ticking over. And I think we did miss that today because that that's ultimately what we needed. We needed A, someone that could keep the ball ticking over in a, in a forward fashion. We also needed someone that could give us a wee bit of something special in the, in the final third. And we didn't really have that coming from the midfield. Um, Ryan Jack, Kamara you know, very similar players. Uh, good players, players alike, but quite similar and in games like that. You know, it's difficult because you're needing runners from midfield rather than players that are sitting. Um, and I just don't think Kamara and Jack quite offer that. As I said at the top of the show, you know, there's a lot of times in the edge of the box where they just wouldn't pull the trigger and maybe able would have, or at least they would have found something a bit more you know, substantial in that in that position. So, yeah, I think Arfield for rebo on this occasion just didn't quite work for the team in general, and I think we did miss him. There's no doubt we missed him. And I, hopefully, I mean, Gerald said that we would hopefully be back next week, and I think we could really do with that because we need that influence on the midfield. And actually, you know, maybe maybe we still need that that just one more central midfielder uh, that gives us that attacking option in these sorts of games.
2: I think you're absolutely right, uh, David. I think we need we need uh, to get another midfielder. That's one of the other things that was gonna um, give me a wee uh, shred of optimism today, thinking you know, the, the transfer window's open for a long time yet. We can get we can get somebody else in. We may need to change things up. I, I just don't think we should be in a situation where we go to Livingston and missing Joe Aribo. As, I mean, I, I was same as yourself. Exactly same as yourself. I'm thinking we're, we're missing him big still today, but we we shouldn't be relying on that. And I'm, you know what. I'm the same as everybody else. You're thinking, why are we playing with the two sitting midfielders? But it's, I think that's a, a case of the, the fans just kind of, as fans, we're analysing it. Um, I mean, what happened, I saw a couple of times, uh, Kamara is firing the ball in too fast. He was he was hitting balls in too quickly, uh, hitting feet too quickly or hitting the ball too long. And you know, I think this is the same guy who scored. I mean, it was a deflected goal, but early on at Livingston League Cup game last season, he's, he's basically scored the winner. Um, as a sitting midfielder and where's in in the Ryan Jack that we saw for example Ross County uh, last season I remember the game up at Dingwall where he's curling them in from the edge of the box and all that um, I think we we all we all know um, where these players are ostensibly sitting when you put the, when you put the these players are ostensibly positioned when you put the, the positions down the formation down on paper but they should be able to you know once basically the basics of football one should be able to go and one should be able to cover um, and I just don't know. I feel oh, you're, you're talking about um, Morelos as well. It was He's had the moment where there's, we, we watched uh, Tavernier putting a, a corner in against uh, St. Johnson. And Joe Arabo has just got across the defender and nodded it in. And yet Alfredo Morelos didn't seem able to do that today. He didn't seem able to to get on his toes and just get across the defender. There was balls coming into him where he's just basically stood there and just letting the centre-half get it. He's no moving at all. Um, he might not be able to win the header, but if it's a bit of movement, he can create something. There could be a secondary chance off that. Um, but also, by the same token, there's then another ball comes in and he's standing there, as we know with the back post you were talking about. It. Um, he's, he's in plenty of space. He's got plenty of time and, 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 he, and he heads it over. There just seems to be a, a, a kind of attitude problem you know, sometimes when it comes to these games. And I think it's, Watching the St. John's game and the St. Winning game, I'm taking more heart from the moments where we seem to be struggling and we seem to be uh, getting into that kind of duam, getting into that kind of mindset of it's not going our way, and then we do something about it. You know, the the first 20 minutes against St. John's, they didn't get to the 20. They got to 19 minutes, 56, and we got that free kick at the edge of the box. And then, bang, Barisic puts it in and the pressure's off. And I'm loving that because I know that the, the only problem this team has just now, the only problem... Yeah, that's, that's stopping us pushing on to win the league is when we're up against a low block, a doer, you know, minnow, who doesn't want to come out and play football against us, you know, or is playing a different type of football. I don't mean any disrespect, they're perfectly entitled to do that. Um, and I, I'm actually enjoying those moments because I think that's that's the one. I want to see signs that we can deal with this. That we, and it's a, it seems to be a mental block as much as anything else. Because against St Mirren, for example, there was times where it just seemed like we were overwhelming them. We didn't even know what we were doing ourselves. It was just sheer enthusiasm and everybody seemed to love being on the ball. And it was just, it was a goal was inevitable because it was just such a pressure. And St Mirren, back, and St. Mirren are no, well, they are worse than Livingston um, just, but um, they're, they're, they're not that much worse. Livingston aren't much better than St Mirren. And I don't see why the guys can't go out there and just think, we have all the talent in the world. We're good at what we do. We can be heroes here. You know, just go for it. Just, just if it doesn't work, just, just go back to the well for more. And eventually, sheer pressure would tell. Livingston didn't, I mean, they, they had a shot from their own half that nearly went in. McLaughlin was, was was just alive to it. Um, and then the guy goes through on goal. The guy Robinson went through on goal, I think it was the 90th minute, and he just slightly pulled his shot. But that actually amounted to the same amount of chances we had. You know, Barisic's free kick, you know, fantastic save. It would have been a fantastic goal same as a fella shooting from halfway for, for Livingston. And then uh, in the 93rd minute, I think it was Ryan Kent, the best move we had of the game because Livingston had come out a wee bit, got a bit excited. And we went, we, went, we went one end of the park to the other and uh, Kent just pulls it past the post. And that, that, we just shouldn't be in that situation where we're basically having as many attempts on goal as Livingston. We should be capable of overwhelming teams to the point where they're putting the ball in their own net, as we did uh, with Alfredo, you know, caused their own goal for St Mirren. So it's just for me, I, they don't seem to enjoy their football, and the set setup at the likes of Livingston uh, poops them off. Don't get me wrong, we've, we've today we've taken as many points off Livingston in one league game as Celtic did in two trips to the Tony Macaroni last season, and we didn't need a ninety first minute equaliser to do it. You no, know, we're, we're not going to get carried away here, but I just I just don't see why we don't seem to be enjoying our football, or capable of seeing. That there's a there's a great prize here. These guys just need to. If think if you told those guys today, all you've got to do is go and beat Livingston and your league champions, surely they would be able to do it. But they don't seem to be able to get it through their head. As you say, this this is just the one last hurdle they've got to take over, and I think it's a mental hurdle.
0: It's a shame because we've spoken a lot about the mentality over the last ninety nine shows, um, so it's disappointing to hear that it's a theme that's that's reached through to number one hundred, but. You know, it's obviously something that we, we discussed under Pedro, we discussed under Graham Murty, and we, we, we sincerely thought would be fixed under a winner and a motivator like Stephen Gerrard. But David, if we take this back to, to Wednesday evening when we had we welcome St. Johnston to, to Ibrox, it, to my mind, that was another game that started very slowly that, that seemed to, you know, St. Johnston set with a, you know, flat back five and it was all very compressed and it was all very tight and they knew what they were, they were knew what their game plan was, which was to come to Ibrooks and try and steal a point. Um, but that game was changed because this time Borna Barasić's free kick did find the top corner, whereas today it was panned away. What effect did that have on the game on Wednesday night? Did that kind of serve to open up the game or maybe give Rangers players a wee bit more confidence to play more free-flowing football or or just maybe with a wee bit more freedom because of that goal.
1: Yeah, I think that, that initial breakthrough, you know, gives the players confidence. But I actually thought the second goal was the key one for us on, on Wednesday night because, uh, kind of everyone breathed this eye relief when we scored the second one. But, yeah, I mean, that's the sort of thing. Like the other sort of breaks you need, and listen, that wasn't a lucky break. That was a, an absolutely incredible piece of, you know, piece of skill by by Baris Hitch, who, has started incredibly well um, in this pre-season. And I think, you know, we spoke a lot about players and, and clubs watching players. And that. I think any any club watching him, will wouldn't be thinking that he is, you know, a, a top, top talent who can go, you know, as, as, as high um, as high as he likes. And I think he's, he's now the player who we thought we were getting when he came in uh, in the first season. Um and I think he's now starting to show, you know, the proper the proper player on a consistent basis, which is great. But, yeah, I mean, Wednesday night, we started slow, got that breakthrough, scored another two good goals, played OK. Gerald made, f- you know, five substitutes in one, one sixty 60 minutes. And then the last 20 minutes of that game were, were, just, were probably technically worse than today. Um, it was as if we just didn't know what we were doing uh, at times on, on, on Wednesday night towards the end of the game. So, yeah, I mean, it's quite difficult at the moment because we have, you know, brought in a couple of players for decent amounts of money, if I led like to believe, um, in roof and, and Eaton, And they need to get up to speed. And the only way they get up to speed is by playing games. So that means that they have to come on at certain times and get certain minutes under the belts. And I feel for them because it's a, it's a difficult thing to do, you know, come into a team when the season's already started and try to, to hit the ground running, you know, um, and certainly for Roof, that's been the case where he's, he's had to come in on Wednesday night and the spotlight's on you there because, <clears throat> because you're sort of the big money sign everyone wants to see. And it's obviously strange times because they're coming on and there's no crowd, there's no reaction when they come on. So you're not getting that extra little, you know, um, buzz that you would get probably in your first game when there's 50,000 fans there. So, um, it's been a strange one I think Wednesday night you know Gerald made the decision at 3-0 to make all the changes and then it just became a bit watch you know for for us for a while there um, but yeah as you say I mean the, that piece of individual skill from Barisic opened up the game for us a bit and maybe that's what we needed today but, but certainly we can't rely on that every game and I think we need to we need to focus more on how we're going to break down these teams and how we're going to um I guess I was up for it, I suppose, because as Alex says, after thirty minutes today he felt like that was it. It was the same old story. You know, we need to stick at it a bit longer than that because that's not the last of the sort of games we're gonna have this season. And even St. Johnson on Wednesday, you know, as you say, they they came with a, a game plan in mind to frustrate and, and luckily um we managed to, to get to get over that. Uh, whether the pitch whatever made a difference today, I don't know, but Certainly, we're going to have to to them. We're going to have to find a way because, as Alex says, we're we're going to be judged on these games. Um, you know, not the big games because we've we've proved time and again that we're, we're good in the big games. It's these sort of games that we need to win. Um, and you know, Alec mentioned there. You know, if, if if they if they were told that if they won the game today, they win the league. Ultimately, that is that is what they should be thinking because history and, over the, and certainly Stephen Gerrard's tenure, history suggests that we come unstuck when we play against the lesser teams. So, you know, they should be going in every game like this, thinking, right, if we win today, we're, we're a step closer um, to at least pushing it to the very last day. Um, because if you're coming ahead to head with Celtic, I think we've shown over the past two years that in those games, we can, you know, certainly hold it on. Um, results show that. So... We're going to have to get in our heads that these, these games matter just as much as the, as the big European or, or, or old fun ties.
0: Yeah, I mean, these, these games are the bread and butter of a, a Scottish Premiership season, aren't they? It's not the games against Celtic that, that define your season, really, when it comes to looking at the table at, at the end of the year. It's, it's It's these games, it's how you can do against the you know the, the middling jobbers of the, the Scottish football world, and and that's where we come up short, as you say, and that's what's really frustrating. Um, just David, just to finish quickly off on Warner Barisic. We've all mentioned kind of that he's had a, an excellent start to the season, and that's obviously been picked up by the media as well. Sky gave him a little bit of time this morning, uh, this afternoon, with his own little interview section. Um, he was probably our best player on the park today, and 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 probably the best player on the park as well on Wednesday. So David. Are you worried that what with this being an extra long transfer window all the way through to October, do you have any concerns that it's going to be tough for us to keep hold of Barisic?
1: Depends. I mean, it depends on a lot of factors. But if, if you if you trust what he says, he won't be he won't be leaving. I would hope he didn't. Um, but certainly, I mean, I know we've, we've, we speak quite a lot in this podcast about players' worths and, and things like that, and. You know, he's he, fair enough. He's not won the league up here, and he's not won a, a, any silverware. But I think he's shown that, he, you know, is a, is a great player, and, and that that sort of set piece speciality isn't something that comes around all that often. So he's got that as well. So, you know, if if it comes to a point where, where there are bids, I'd like to think there'll be there'll be substantial.
0: Yeah, you'd certainly hope so. I mean, he is he's proving himself to be one of the most important. Aspects of that squad, and, and as you know, a starting international pullback for one of the top three nations globally, uh, you think he would command a, a hefty fee, and hopefully, if there is any business to be done, it's, it's done early enough to to get a, a decent replacement in the door. Um, now, Alec, another player who has been linked with, with transfer speculation is is Glenn Kamara. I thought that today, Kamara was was dreadful to be honest with you. I, I thought it looked like he'd, he'd never passed a ball before he, he couldn't make anything stick he was afraid of taking a shot on but I thought that on Wednesday he actually played one of our, one of his best games for Rangers against St. Johnston um, in midweek in there he was very composed, he dictated play a lot his passing was spot on and, and he looked really good with the ball at his feet so Alex there's there's rumours of a £10 million move for Glenn Camara is, is that a fair price? Um, It certainly would Break the, the current record for Rangers sales. Um, so is that a fair price? But also, what impact would it have on the squad to to lose a player like Glen Kamara?
2: Um, I I think it's more than a fair price. I don't I don't think it's actually fair in, in, in whoever's bidding it. Um, ten million for Glen Kamara. I would I would bite your hand off uh, tomorrow, and I don't mean that as um, any disrespect to Glenn Kamara, who I think um, his case isn't helped by so much of the work that he does for us. Um, and his great work is kind of, you know, the, the low-key, unspectacular stuff. Um, he, As we know, he started superbly when he came to us at first. Um, he has a wee tendency to uh, kind of donner on the ball a bit too long at times, and he, get, he gets kind of caught in possession. Uh, we had a couple today, I think it was just part of the, whole, the way the whole game was going today, and it wasn't just Glenn Kamara. we um, were coming back to the halfway line and we're, we're kind of, Stroking the ball about across across the uh, kind of centre of the park, and you know, and are nearly taking it off and, and going through on goal. But I think, as I say, that's part of the whole kind of uh, is the general malaise um, today. But I, I, would, I think uh, he, he, when he's on his game, he's fantastic. Um, but when he goes off his game, um, it can be it can be fatal um, for us. I think I remember the, the Scottish Cup game at Hearts, um, particularly bad. But. Even as I'm saying that, I'm thinking it's just every, every time I try to criticise the guy, um, or think of think of reasons that it, it, it'd be good to get rid of him, um, it's just in performances that the whole team has really been, been off the boil, uh. So, but I think ten million would be absolutely uh, fantastic, and I would I would have much more, uh, much more worry about losing uh Barisic, uh, than I would about uh losing Glenn Kamara, and it's a terrible. Thought. I I don't mean that disrespectfully, to the guy. I think he's um. I think he's he's done fantastically um by his own standards and he's been he's been key to us in a lot of games. And uh, I thought it was interesting the this the St Johnson game the other night. He seemed to spend the second half um kind of basically playing at left back. He's covering for me just I think we just decided to let Bourner play, you know, as a kind of outside left. You just he I think I think Borna come back into his own half about two times. It's hard to tell when you're you know, you're not at the game, you can't see the whole pitch uh, all the time. We're just watching it on Windows T V but um, it summed up the fact that, that Kamara can can adapt, um, and he can do all sorts of kind of utility jobs uh, in midfield. And when he's on his game, he's not too bad going forward either. But uh, maybe I'm just in a bad mood about today. But I would I would bite your hand off for ten million for Glen Kamara. I'm afraid.
0: No, I I have to say I agree, and and it's strange. It's a strange sort of phenomenon actually that that when he's having a bad game, the rest of the teams also having a bad game. And and I wonder if there's any kind of correlation there that. When he's I not performing that role, the whole team suffers, um, which which is a lot of a lot of pressure on him, obviously. But that's that's part and parcel of the role that he's playing. Um, Alec, I'll stay I'll stay with yourself, if I may. Mentioning Borna Barisic there, and, and it's no surprise that we've been talking about him quite a lot this evening after the contribution that he's made to, over the first four games of the season. Um, but on Wednesday evening, obviously he scores a wonderful goal. He then provides a a, a lovely assist to, to mm-hmm. Ryan Kent for a, a really nice second goal um, that really, really well built up team play and Joe Aribo again had a, a good hand in that one. um. But we had midweek there, Tavernier assisting the third. So that's a goal and two assists from our fullbacks um, to, to cover all three goals. Now Sky kind of covered this at the start of the game today, how, how far up the fullbacks are pushing. And obviously it's part and parcel of the modern game. But it seems that the full are playing with even more attacking aggression this season than, than they did last season. Is that something that you've noticed? And, and is that something that you would agree is a, a good approach to, to Scottish football?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we need all the weapons we, we, we can get when it comes to games like today. Um, I think I, I, I found myself thinking about uh, Stephen Whitaker, the Stephen Whitaker dilemma uh, the other night when Borner, who was absolutely fantastic uh, in the first half and uh, should have been played in a couple of times in the second half, but his game kind of went down. Uh, went down a wee, a wee pace uh, in the second half, as said, the whole team's substitutions, didn't help. But when he was just kind of hugging the byline uh, in, in the St Johnston half, it wasn't as effective. I and mean, he needs that kind of. I, I've always got a theory where he's kind of like Alan Hutton, um, and this a Steven Stephen there was always a dilemma. He's, he's so skillful, so we just stick him in midfield. Um, but he didn't seem to be as effective when he didn't have that kind of head of steam that that fullbacks get when they're, you know, kind of bombing on from their own half. They, they do that kind of slaloming thing rather than being able to beat somebody from a kind of standing start. Um and I I think it's part of the whole Liverpool light kind of approach. Um Trent Alexander Arnold and Andy Robertson we're doing we have got our fullbacks and Gerard likes to play uh the, the same way and he's got them bombing on and the two of them are frighteningly accurate. Um, at times, with their balls uh, into the box, and I think they're, they're lovely footballers going forward as well. We know Tav has been, you know, an easy scapegoat. Um, that that back post thing that's dogged them uh, defensively in the years, but uh, I think that's part of the kind um, of compartmentalisation of departments and a football team by older guys like myself who just think a defence should be defending, the midfield should be doing its bit and the strikers are out. It's a holistic approach uh, in modern football and I think that's 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 why you find today when we stop attacking with the same intensity after half an hour, Livingston start getting little sniffs uh, at the back. So I think it's um, our defences attack if you like and, and you know and vice versa and Barisic and Tavernier are, I think, two of our most vital players, um, just to the, to the whole plan and what Stephen is trying to do. I think that's
0: a very, very fair assessment. Um, David, very quickly on, on, on the St Johnston game in midweek, it was our first chance to see David Itton and Kamar Roof playing together. Um, and, and, you know, what before we, we got to see them on the pitch, we'd obviously had all of the football manager fans telling us that they're very very different players and, and actually it struck me when I got to see them on the pitch just how different those two are as players and, and Kamar Roof was seemingly dropping back a lot deeper to come and collect the ball whereas Cedric Itam was, was much more of a conventional striker um, we still have a certain Alfredo Morelos on the books uh, and still starting games and the interest from Leo seems to have cooled as they brought in another striker and, and, and a fair outlay on him so there seems now to be a reasonable chance that we're going to close this transfer window with Morelos still here. How do you see the three of them fitting into any kind of system? And and, and surely, when you have three players of, of, of this type, naturally, someone's always going to be disappointed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously we'd spoken about um, about Roof on the on the podcast. That was the night we thought Morelos was going. I was actually interrogated by Euros like like in Frost Nixon when I said that Roof would have been a good sign for it. Um, but certainly I, I see him as being the... I see him being the main, the main striker. If Morelos leaves, I, I see Ruth being the, the obvious sort of first choice. Um, and I think Eton's probably been brought in as a maybe look, looking to the, to the future, perhaps. I don't see him being the, the, the one that starts every week, maybe in the future, but I don't think that would be this season. I think Ruth would have been the one that was brought in with the with the thinking, you know, that he could um, become the the successor to Morello, if you will. But if Morello stays, then you know he it's his it's his jersey to lose in many ways. Um, and if he if he plays, you know, like he played against uh, St. St. Mirren last weekend, then you know there's no or even just how he played at the beginning of last season. There's no reason why he shouldn't you know keep the jersey. But if he Plays the way he played the last season, then you know it's up for grabs. So do I see them fitting in the same team, probably not. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if that would work. The only way it would maybe work is if, as if Ruth played off the right like he did. Um, you know, it the odd time in Anderlecht. You know, he can he can play there. Um, and certainly when he came on on Wednesday night, he was almost playing behind the uh, behind Eaton up front. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't see that that happening too often. I think it's going to be a case of this is the system that GRL plays. There's one main striker, and, and that's that's it really. But if Roof proves himself to be useful on the right hand side, you know that's an area of the pitch where we haven't been um, the strongest over the past couple of years. So perhaps you know there's a way of fitting them, fitting two of them in. But certainly, you know, Morelos is on the right over the past two years to keep the jersey until a, a point where it looks like, you know, he's, he's, his form is, is um, letting him down or uh, injury, you know. So we'll see whether they, they fit the same team out. I'm not so sure, but I think um, it's you know, jersey to lose.
0: Yeah, Chris Boyd made a decent point on on Sky this afternoon, which, which is a wee bit of an oxymoron, but we'll, we'll plough ahead anyway. Um, he, he made the point that it's no surprise to see that Morelos started playing better when and Itten were brought in. So he's finally got some competition um, and, and he realises two things. If the legal interest is cooled, then he needs to show someone else that, that they should come and take him. But also he needs to keep playing and he needs to keep scoring and, and, and to keep the other two out of the side and he won't get his move if he sat on the bench. So it's, it's now very much in Morelos' best interest to be the best player that he can be. Um, so hopefully that, you know, we, we as a club can benefit, benefit from that. I still don't think we'll see him. I, I, I expect we'll see him leave the club before the end of October. But um, I, I think now we're in a better position that if that is the case, we, we have coverage. And, and I, I feel a lot more comfortable with the idea of him leaving than I did three or four weeks ago. Gents, before we finish, I'd like to maybe try and add some some light relief and and look at the misfortune that's being suffered by two of our favourite clubs, Celtic and Aberdeen, who have um, let's be frank, completely embarrassed themselves and let the rest of Scottish football down. Scottish football has you know come back and and started a new season uh, but whilst the. The whole of society has a huge amount of uncertainty thanks to the the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, There's very strict guidelines in place and representatives of those two football clubs have entirely embarrassed themselves and and should be ashamed of their actions. Now, Alex, the, the one question that's burning in my mind is, is it possible for a football player based in Scotland to visit Spain overnight during the week and have
2: no one from their club know about it. Yes, if he plays for Celtic, um, and I, I'm quite frankly I'm, I'm disgusted at your attitude there, Ross, because this this wasn't uh, Aberdeen and Celtic. Uh, this was ball and, bo- volleyball and goalie, and the whole of Scottish football. I think that's you need to you need to remember um, it's all of us that are responsible for this. This isn't like a tax, you know, where, we, where every club in the land was trying to pay as much tax as possible. You know, the chairman of every other club in the land were employing uh, chief executives with the, the sole remit of making sure they paid every single bit of tax possible um, to the HMRC. And it was only Rangers uh, that were doing something to try and save a bit of money uh, in that respect. No, so this is this is uh, COVID and we should all, Scottish football should all come together and we should just uh, hope that Alfredo Morelos is caught uh, going to Colombia for a wee fly visit. And then, uh, then then, we can start persecuting particular clubs. Um, I, it's been an absolute joke. The, the whole reaction to it, the, the attempt um, to, to make it about uh, the whole of Scottish football, uh, it's just, it's, it sticks in my craw. People are dying um, from COVID. Um, we had our tax avoidance extrapolated to Killing your granny because Rangers failed to pay tax, and that was a that was affecting the uh, that was that was caused the cutbacks on emergency services. That meant the, the ambulance couldn't get to your granny's door in time and save her life. That was that was big bad Rangers. But when people are actually dying in their thousands, um, and Celtic and Aberdeen players are basically assisting in that, um, it's it's the whole of Scottish football's fault. Aye, it's. Uh, it's just been—it's just been embarrassing, mate.
0: Are you surprised at? Let's you know if we, if we focus on Celtic for a moment. Celtic Football Club's response to Ballengali has been very much to throw the player under the bus and say it was all him. We had no idea. I mean, Neil Lennon was using all sorts of colourful language to to explain his thoughts, um, which makes you think that surely, surely they did not know because if they did know how. How bad will that look? Um, Neil
2: was morally. Neil was morally offended, Ross. He was he was he was morally offended by what had happened there. I don't know if it was yourself. Uh, a, a pod a few months ago was talking about how they were quite happy to claim the league title and pose with the the championship trophy in a forest, um, while people were dying. Um, they were quite happy to you know. Make sure that they got that trophy. That was their only concern. But now they just seem to be, you know, just so appalled that they'll, they'll throw a a bit part reserve team player under the. I say it's the throwing under the plane is be, be more accurate. um I, it's it's just it's offensive, you know. And I, I'd, actually, I'd actually have some sympathy uh, with Celtic and Aberdeen if you were talking to me before two thousand and twelve. Uh, my, every instinct with me was, uh, I mean, I'm watching the, the, the UK headlines the other night uh, and Tuesday night were all about uh, the SNP's, you know, um, reverse U-turn on the, uh, the education, the, on the, the exam results. Uh, but the SNP themselves had a press conference that day and the first three journalists that they wanted questions from were Chris McLaughlin, big Raman from STV and Brian Swanson from Sky Sports News. And they were quite happy to, to throw football under the, the, the bus as well. Um, but after that happened to us, and the, the, way we, the way we were kind of demonised and treated. It's not, it's, not the, it's not the crime or the, the breach of regulations that's a problem in Scottish football. It's the, the hysteria and moral panic you can create around it. Um, and I just, I feel as if it could quite easily, I mean, think it could quite easily um, be, be caught out next, you know, breaching the uh, COVID protocols. But uh, until they are, I just, I, <laughs> I, I can't actually give a, a straight, you know, kind of sober opinion in this because of everything we went through in 2012 as a support and as a club.
0: Aye, and, and, and the thing is, there will be so many folk listening um, who have had family members contract this illness. And, um, you know, there, there, there are people who, who contribute to this podcast who have had family members affected by this illness and, and hospitalized. And, Colin, Colin's wife works uh, in a hospital and, and her world, I know, has been turned upside down by this illness. So it's, it's, yeah. it's had a monstrous impact. And to that end, were a Rangers player to do what volleyball and Golly or the Aberdeen Eight, as they're affectionately called, have done, I would be livid, absolutely furious. And I would. it's the same reaction whether it's one of my players or another set of players. It's, it's unacceptable conduct um, and it's putting folk at risk. Now, David, the position that we're in is that I believe the Scottish Football Association are investigating this at the player level and at the club level, and formally sanctions for the club have not yet been ruled out. Now, we live in a world where a club can be punished for the actions of the support. Surely it's only right that the club can also therefore be punished for the act of the players who are formal employed representatives of the club. Now, if that's the case, what punishment A, do you think is appropriate? But B, maybe more importantly, what punishment do you expect for Celtic and Aberdeen?
1: Um, I think that if there was going to be a punishment handed out, probably a fine of some sort. B, um, would be fair enough, I suppose. Uh, Just because, you know, they've wasted um, a lot of money, you know, for, for fans. And this was my point last week, you know, we, you know, the whole world, you know, it's not, just, it's not just Scotland, it's not just the UK. The whole world is, um, has been locked down for, you know, the best part of the year now. Um, and we've all had to had to abide by certain rules, um, you know, in our daily lives. And fair enough, I mean, life is has some semblance of normality for us now in terms of, you know, shops being opened, pubs, you know, people starting to go back to work and things like that. Um, but, you know, these, these footballers are getting paid, you know, a lot of money. Even the Aberdeen players, you know, the ones that were that, were, um, that were seen out, you know, I, I would assume they're some of the highest earners at, at Aberdeen. So they're all players that, that you know, are, are being paid substantial sums of money to play football. Now, to then completely disregard not only not only the, the league rules, the government rules and their, their own clubs rules, But to actually end up, you know, with a situation where games are being cancelled. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that. It loads of sympathy for other clubs fans because that would just be stupid. I don't. Um, But I know for a fact, if if I'd I'd paid money, you know, season tickets or just as you go, games on, you know, Celtic, Aberdeen TV, whatever. Um, And then that happened and the games get cancelled, you know, I would expect you just expect a bit more from the players to, to show a bit more respect to the game and a bit more respect to, to you know, the, the fans who are still still putting their money in the pocket to, to to watch games even though they can't go to them, you know. And that's the thing you've got to show a respect to the fans. B, you know, they they're not just um, risking the the health of their own players and their own teammates and staff. You know that's that could become an issue in the wider community because you get you get guys there that will be you know mixing with a whole lot of people who are then maybe mixing with a whole lot of people who you know that's how it, that's how it starts and um, you know complete disregard for the rules and, and and what was in place and that's the most disappointing thing. Now as for what I expect, I really don't know. Will they will they sanction them? You'd like to think so, but you know after what we've seen during this lockdown. You know, Scottish football, you know, it's so unpredictable in terms of the way it's governed. So I don't know. You know, there's two clubs there. So, you know, if you throw the book at one, you've got to do it with the other, you know. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, I, think, I think personally, I don't know what you guys think, but certainly a thing to me would be, would be fair if, if they were going to sanction them um because I think I think it's been a you know regardless whether it was one player or, or eight or you know whatever the fact is it was a player representing that club and as you say Ross you know fans are clubs are punished for the actions of fans um, which boys from scene uh and you know that's not something the club can control necessarily so the club should be able to control the players, and if they can't, and certainly if they, they can't drive home enough the, the message that these things aren't acceptable, then, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, that's where the world, and they, and they probably should be sanctioned. Whether they will be or not, I don't know.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see as to whether they will be or not. What What's maybe alarming or gives me a wee bit of anxiety is, is the SNP or the, the Scottish government's line is that, right, now that Celtic have done it, there's your line in the sand. And if, you know we'll, we'll let that go because you're all getting used to the rules, but anything else going forward will we'll, we'll really punish that. So uh, it, it sets it up very nicely for whoever the next club is to get caught, to get a, a whacking great sanction and, and maybe even sort of see that the government temporarily halt Scottish football again. Um, what I hope that this has done, first of all, from a personal or you know, a selfish perspective, I hope that this has made Stephen Gerrard and um, you know, the, the directors or Stuart Robertson or whoever it might be at Rangers, sit the players down and say, right, they've been caught and they've embarrassed themselves and embarrassed their club. We do not let that happen. This does not happen here. But thinking about it, I hope that's happened to every other club as well. Because not just for the kind of self-interest, but for the public safety, you know, you hope that they're sitting and down and going, that's embarrassing. They've been caught out. Don't do the same thing because you're you're putting folk at risk. You're putting football at risk, but you're putting the wider public at risk. So, so just cut it out and, and don't don't get caught doing the same thing. We'll have to wait and see. You know, we, we said at the start of this season that we don't know how long we're gonna have football for. There's a very good chance that this season will be interrupted with a few starts and stops. We don't know, um, and and this was always likely to happen, was that folk would be caught breaking the rules. Um, we'll have to wait and see what happens going forward. We just have to hope that, that football can carry on for as long as possible and that the players really do get a grip and realise that they have responsibilities to, to the wider public and that they cannot go around acting as if they are immune from this because they are healthy and they are unlikely to be as affected as other people because, unfortunately, that's that's not how the world works. Listen, gents, I'm uh, I'm very conscious that we have gone over the allotted hour that we usually try and stick to, so I'm going to wrap things up there. Um, A difficult day for us all here uh, in in the Rangers family, so uh, to to try and make sense of that result today, but um, I would just like to sort of say once again a a massive thank you to everyone who's been listening to the show, Um, whether you're with us for the first time or for the 100th time. uh, We really do appreciate your support. I'd like to say thanks as well to to David and to to Alex for their wonderful insight as always and it's, it's great for them to give up their Sunday evenings to come and blather about Rangers with me. The show will be back from next Sunday um, hopefully with a, a slightly sunnier mood from whoever's in the hot seat that time. Um, other than that please do head over to the website at www.jersnet.co.uk and take in all the great content that you can get over there. If you've not signed up to the forum yet please do so and catch us all there. Uh, the only other thing for me to say is please stay safe, please look after each other um, and have a great week. Bye for now.